0: Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have Emmy award-winning journalist, Tamron Hall. I'll talk to Tamron about having Texas pride, meeting Obama, and the importance of knowing your worth. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast, leave a five-star rating. Tell a friend to tell a friend to come and get some of this good old-fashioned so foo. the renaissance man we cover all of the bases we've had around 60 episodes and 60 columns we're top 20 in entertainment download the renaissance man podcast this week's theme is know your worth that's right i said it tell them your price before you even ask what the salary is And know that you're 100% worth it. Let them decide whether they can afford you or not. Don't lessen your value for anyone. And you know what else? Sometimes you got to walk away and leave money on the table. Money comes and goes. But your expertise, unique perspective, and skill set are yours for life. And you only stand to become more knowledgeable as you age. That's actually called wisdom. So I ask you, ladies and gentlemen, what do you know? How long did it take you to learn it? How much expertise do you actually have? How much do you stand to learn? Are you the best Calculate your expertise plus knowledge. Times that by your efficiency, work ethic, and skill set. The sum of that equation is actually what you deserve. I tell you all of the time, people come into your life for four reasons. To add, subtract, multiply, or divide. Choose wisely. My next guest knows all about that. Tamron Hall was the first black woman to co-host the today's show and had the highest rated hour when an offer was given to her by the network that was lower than what she felt she deserved. You know what she did? She stepped out on faith and now, The Tamron Hall Show is airing in its third season. Coming up, we talk about her having Texas pride, meeting Obama, and the importance of knowing your worth. Up next, Tamron Hall. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. You know what it is, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Our next guest is the reigning queen of daytime. Tamron Hall has accomplished so much in the world of journalism, from covering elections, and uncovering details of criminal cases to her current hot new daytime talk show, The Tamron Hall Show. She's extremely versatile, and I am honored to have her on the podcast. Please welcome Tamron Hall to the show.
1: Jalen, it is so good to be with you. I can always tell when someone knew me before I turned 30 because they call me Tamron. Everyone after 30 says Tamron. So, see, we go back and I appreciate that.
0: So, I want to get into your childhood. What was it like growing up for you? And I hope I'm saying this right in Luling, Texas. And why do you think Texans have so Luling? What was it like for you growing up in Luling, Texas? And also, why do Texans take so much pride in their home state? Like, I'm a Michigander, but it? I rep for Detroit. Y'all rep for your whole state. Because it's too many things
1: to love. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Michigan. I love <laughs> Detroit. Great American city. No doubt. And I get why people from Michigan would say, especially if you have ties to Detroit, that I'm from Detroit. It's it's Detroit is a, a country of its own. I think with <laughs> Texas, Texas is interesting because we're split up. So, you know, you play ball. You've traveled the world. You've got the Dallas yeah. area. Dallas and Houston could not be more different. It's like a whole different right. planet. Then you go to El Paso, out West, it's just a very different state. So I'm not sure why that we we rally behind Texas versus necessarily the city, but I do, uh,
0: I I wear my Texas on my sleeve for sure. You definitely represent to the fullest. And in that you started off as a reporter in many smaller markets. And you paid your dues doing several assignments. Then you made the jump to MSNBC. What was what was that transition like? And is there anything you miss about doing local news?
1: Uh, You know, what's so interesting with this daytime talk show, I still get that feeling of local news, because in local news, I'll I'll compare it to being in college basketball. Mm -hmm. You have love in the NBA, but there is nothing like love at the college level. Right. Right. And so For me, the local level in news that was like being in college ball, then coming to the national news, it's, it's a bit different. But this talk show turns out to be the best of both worlds. I still get that feeling when I talk to everyday people, as we call folks, I guess. And I think we're all everyday people. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I still get that connection that's not just celebrity. And that's what we tried to do with our show when we launched it three years ago. I didn't want just a celebrity show. I wanted a show where we would talk to people because the best of my journey, I know the best of your journey, is when we've talked to other folks and they've given us advice, they've dropped knowledge, they've dropped wisdom, and we've become better as a result of it. So I started out in local news, um, Bryan College Station, where Texas A&M is. And then I went to Dallas and from Dallas, Chicago, Chicago to New York. It's been an interesting journey, but this daytime show gives me the best of both of those worlds. It's the college and the NBA in one life.
0: And you're actually crushing it. I was one of the people, like so very many, that was happy to not only see you get the opportunity, but knew that you were going to take it and run with it and never look back. So definitely congratulations. They keep crushing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take you back to 2008. I was at the inauguration. You were there up close and personal. You were one of the pe- people that had us glued to our TV. So with all this transpired in our country and in politics since then, how does it feel looking back at that time now?
1: You know, I have to tell you, I've had so many conversations with people, certainly over the past eight years, who say, wow, God, what happened to America? What's going on? And and Reverend William Barber, who I I could not speak more highly of him, I love him. And he said in a speech that I uh, attended once, if you tell your kids this is the worst of what we've seen, you're doing a disservice to history. He's like, you know, we overcame the Holocaust when the mm-hmm. world had to rally to, you know, beat back evil. We at a point in the news could turn it on and see um, black people marching in Selma and beaten brutally with cameras before. So we have seen the worst of humanity on many, many scales. Obviously, we're too young to remember those things. But mm-hmm. but. This is not the worst of what we've seen. The joy going to your specific question, though, 2008, we've never seen because we've never seen a black man become president. That was a surreal experience. I was at the the first corner um, outside um, uh, uh, where the parade route is. And so I was the first reporter just as President Obama made that turn. And I thought about my grandfather who was born in 1901, who had to leave school in the second grade, a sharecropper who could not read. I thought about my father, who was in the military for 30 years, who would, you know, who fought in Vietnam in the Korean War, but then came back to the United States and was treated like a second-class citizen. I thought about my mother, a single mom, age 19 and worked three and four jobs so that her daughter could be, as the shirt says, my ancestors' wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was in that moment. So it was Barack Obama's moment, but it was my moment, too. Absolutely. And it was my grandfather's moment. It was yes. everything about this journey from Luling, Texas on. So selfishly, I don't even remember what he looked like, because all I was seeing was <laughs> my family and you know my aunts and all of these folks. Like, yeah, that's what I saw.
0: So for you doing daytime television, you're doing an amazing job, as I mentioned. How is the juggle of the things that are gonna happen on a day-to-day basis? I work at corporate America. You know, the George Floyd incident may take place. The Breonna Taylor uh, murder may take place. So how are you able to juggle just maintaining your integrity of your voice but still um, gaining the respect of the mainstream audience?
1: Well, if the mainstream audience is to respect me, they have to Accept the integrity of my truth, right? Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, you take your mask off, I take my mask off, then we can have a real conversation. I'm an unapologetic black Southern girl Mm -hmm. with the state of Texas tattooed literally on my hip. Mm -hmm. And I wear those things proudly. And if you let me be me, and then you are unapologetic Polish immigrant child, you know, whatever Jewish kid, whatever you are, then we can have a, a real conversation. I am not fond of when people say colorblind because I want you to see my color. As I want you to see my gender because you are then seeing me, right? And so with our show, whether it is the the death of Brianna Taylor, which you know still, I, I still get so sad that I feel like people really did not, just like with Sandra Bland, understand fully that black women are also victims of police brutality assassinated just as George Floyd was. And so I find that problematic. So for me to be able to say that and receive, for example, the Gracie Award um, for Excellence in Media and dedicate that to Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. that's my truth. And if that offends mainstream, then I'm okay with that, right? Because why would it be offensive, right? I have stood aside and supported survivors of domestic violence for, I don't know, 15 years now after my sister was murdered. I never once said, well, what is the race of that woman who was attacked? Or what was the race of that woman who was shot because her husband was allowed to skirt the laws that are not strict enough in her state? I don't look at life that way. I do, though, believe that too much emphasis sometimes, particularly in the media, is put on people of color to so-called assimilate because you want the audience to like me. Correct. I have risen because I have been myself. And the audience said- I got you, and that's why we call him the Tam fam. When I was let go of my prior job, I would be in Harlem, where I live, and people would say, "Tamara, go get them. And mm-hmm. then I would go to Arkansas. I was covering a deadline crime, one of the shows I did. I'm in the most rural, whitest part of Arkansas, so it's rural white in Arkansas. You know, it's really in this white <laughs> woman classic said, "Tamara, is that you? Go get him, girl." And our journeys could not have been more different physically and mm-hmm you know, on the actual journey of life. But she was rooting for me as hard as the Black woman that said to me, go get them, Tamara. Don't let them keep you down. So that's how I I believe I've been able to get to this point. That's why we're in our third season. People have given me permission and the space and grace to be me. And I hope I'm able to extend that
0: in return. And with that comes integrity. So what happens is the Tam fam gets a chance to challenge itself because there's a period of time where we're like, wait a minute, let me get this right. They're giving out this job. They're giving out that job. And they didn't give it to her. Like what is happening right now? But you maintaining your voice and your integrity got you to the position that you earned it.
1: Well, that's the same with you. Listen, first of all, no one gave us anything Now they might be okay. giving out jobs, but neither one of us were given it. Right. All we earned our jobs. You know, when I was let go of at my prior job, I, I remember going into meetings and some of the offers that I was receiving. And this is not to say, I didn't know what I was going to get. I didn't know where I was going to land, but I was literally getting offers that I probably would have entertained my first year out of college. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the first black woman to anchor the today show. I am an Edward R Murrow winner. I'm an Emmy nominated person. I've worked through the trenches. Mm -hmm. At one point I had four shows on, uh, seven shows on four different networks. Right. And you think that I'm worthy of just filling in, Mm. right. Not having a, a, a bigger seat at the table. Not, I don't need to be the star, But I certainly knew I had value. I'd had experience, 30 years Mm -hmm. of experience covering everything that you could imagine wasn't valuable. It was seen as entry level. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so I said, okay, well, how do I see myself? And what do I see as my journey? And I went in and started to pitch this, this idea of this talk show. And certainly, as you know, when you were entering from You know, your prior world and athletics to television, people would tell you how many people failed at it. I'm sure they told you how many other athletes didn't do well. And I I heard every name (laughs) of every talk show that had never, you know, gotten past the first season. Now, those shows didn't make it for different reasons. It doesn't mean that the person wasn't good or it could be timing, whatever it was, their show didn't last. And so people would literally say, well, if he didn't make it and he's famous, you don't have a chance. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm still going to try. And that's going back to your first question about growing up in Luling, Texas, like Detroit. You know, people don't bet on folks from Detroit. They don't bet on somebody from Luling. And so being my background and and not having a family legacy of, of anybody being in this business, or as I said, you know, my mom went to Paul Quinn College. I, I didn't have anybody who could who I could turn to for how to break into TV, but I had plenty of people, my mother, my grandfather, my aunt, who I could turn to and say, how do I keep my integrity? Mm -hmm. How do I keep myself? Right. And Mm -hmm. so I would tell people, my grandfather had the second grade education. I would take his advice over a Harvard grad any day, Mm -hmm. any day. So it's that foundation that I tried to bring to the show at this point in my life and to our guests in the conversation. But I know you understand exactly what I face because we both have faced that.
0: Correct, correct, absolutely. And I'm curious, who are some of the people, and they don't have to be public figures or celebrities, but that inspire you. And also I wanna ask you a follow-up to that because you reminded me of something and it made me think about Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, because when you said you've been doing this for 30 years, it reminded me that they're not 30 years of age.
1: Can you believe that?
0: Right. And, and so, I'm
1: inspired by them. You just correct. said oh, where I am. When I tell you, there have been many recent incidents where I have said to people, the young women of color and how they speak up for themselves and the way they do has made me bolder in current meetings that I am having. I wish at 20 that I had spoken up in meetings. Mm -hmm. I wish that when things happened to me in my thirties, I didn't shrink myself down so someone else could feel good. right? Mm I wish that I didn't pretend that it was okay when it wasn't. Laughing at inappropriate jokes in the workplace and things that I was subjected to that I shouldn't have been. And I should have just said, this is, let me, let me stop this right now. Mm-hmm. And and I, I didn't know it was an option. And to see Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, and I've spent a lot of time with Simone and her family in Texas and training Great. there. And Great. for her to stand up the way she did Incredible. and does for herself, I, I'm going to tell you every time lately I am faced with and adversity, especially in the workplace, I think about them because I wish I had been that bold at 20. I wish.
0: I agree. I love them so much. And I applaud their courage because they have to do it as young adults that we see all of their missteps. And I play basketball. I can miss a shot. Yeah. I can have a turnover, but Simone Bios has to stick the landing every time and get a 10. Every time. She got to be perfect every, literally. And that's what people
1: don't like when you talk about, I've been to the Olympics, I've covered the Olympics. And as I said, I've spent time with Simone. I mean, we, when you say the word perfect 10, that literal, I mean, she, <laughs> right. is perfect. Right. And she and this is not Bo Derek 10. No, <laughs> right. perfect 10 every time. And, and the other thing Jalen is that she has the extra thing that you and I would never know. Which is social media, it didn't exist Mm -hmm. in this form when you were making some rare mistakes on the court that people may not like. When I actually one day on live TV said, instead of city of Chicago, I said shitty of Chicago, (laughs) things didn't go viral then, right? Because it didn't exist. So everything they do. I remember years ago interviewing Justin Bieber and my heart, so and I got to know him and, and his team. And I remember thinking, this kid is not being treated fairly because every misstep is on an international scale. Nobody other than uh, Michael Jackson had Mm -hmm. experienced that level of scrutiny where you go around the world. Mm -hmm. And so there was no blueprint for Justin Bieber on how to handle it because social media didn't even exist like that for for, um, Michael Jackson. So when he's making a mistake, we're seeing it at instant time on YouTube and on Twitter because it's 2008, what he experienced was a blueprint Mm-hmm. He was, he's the prototype of the modern pressure, right? Now, fast forward to Simone Biles. We can compare her to many other athletes, Nadia, Kamanich, whoever. They didn't have instant access to somebody to get on here and tell you about what they think and this. that didn't happen. So who does Simone go to for advice? Because no one's ever experienced that kind of mm-hmm. pressure in a global social media way. They've experienced in the Olympics, but not like she had. No one. And she's mm-hmm. still standing and
0: killing it at the Met the Ooh. other day. Killing and, it. And, and crushing it. And yeah. did you see Naomi's outfit? Like, yeah. it's perfect for socially distancing, too. You know what I'm saying? I'm so proud to say
1: my makeup artist did her makeup. So I'm really like so so, closer. it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I'm six degrees of Naomi Osaka.
0: <laughs> so who are some of the looks you saw at the Met Gala off the top of your head that really stood out?
1: Oh, uh, Gabrielle Union. I thought she looked absolutely incredible. I just, her, her after look, her before, every, everything top to bottom. I loved Iman. And, mm-hmm. and why I loved Iman is like, what I like about the Met Gala or what I like about the, the event in general is, I want to see people in something no one else on the planet could wear. Like Iman, right. you know, who else in the world could have walked <laughs> in in that other than Iman? The same with Rihanna it's the reason why I think we love her fashion so much is that who else in the world could come in, pop hat to the side? <laughs> she, she couldn't, she eats it up. It's like standing next to the sun, even though ASAP Rocky has incredible fashion. He's standing next to the sun.
0: Yes, he, he is. Yes, standing- he is. That's why he had on his cereal coat at first. Like I'm not going to even play this game. Why You can't
1: play this game. <laughs> You're standing next to the sun. Give the sun some room to shine. That's all.
0: And rightfully so. You're known for so many things. Obviously, your intellect, your talent, but also your haircut. (laughs) And I call it Anita Baker haircut because I love her so very much. And that's what we called it when I was growing up. Well, that's why I got the haircut. Because my boyfriend at the
1: time was in love with Anita Baker. And I was in love with him. And so (laughs) I, (laughs) I cut my hair. This was pre Halle Berry. This is pre everybody. Pre Anita Baker Rapture and I was at Temple University and this man was obsessed. He was from DC cuz you know <laughs> DC brothers love the short hair. And I was like, "Okay, let me cut my hair." And I cut my hair and I told this story somewhere and it got back to Anita Baker and she DM me on Twitter and then we started talking. She's like, "Thank you." But yes, I'm like, "Are you kidding me? This is the, it's the Anita Baker haircut forever for me."
0: I love her so much. She's like a surrogate mother to me, uh, a fellow Detroiter as well. And I know she's working right now to get her master's back. And I believe that she's really close in that process. And I would not be surprised when that happens for her to be on your show. Oh, you got to have Anita Breaker on the show.
1: Listen, you don't- I, if I show you the text messages from us, I'm like, come on. She's like, okay, wait, let me, she's always putting me off, but I'm saying, listen, you, I will not be canceled until this woman comes on the show. And I told her, I, I said to her, cause you know her very well, mm-hmm. she that the beautiful voice and, and the presence and the elegance are all real, but she's also very shy, you know, yeah. like, very, very shy. And, As you know, I was very close to Prince, very close to Aretha Franklin, and people see them for their stage personas Mm -hmm. and not always for the person that's behind the scenes. And with Anita Baker, I was so surprised at how she's like, well, do you think people are ready to hear me again? I'm like, we've been waiting, woman. What are you doing? Come (laughs) on, let's go. Yes.
0: And I'm glad that you're having those conversations with the queen because I promise you, I'm having those exact conversations as well
1: isn't that amazing cuz i and i said to her, i said that every time i mention on my show that she's a dream guest people go crazy and i'm just it is it is beautiful to see the humility and the, the humble nature but it's also i'll be honest anita it's frustrating because the world <laughs> I mean, there're not a lot of anita bakers there are listen we all have wonderful talents we all have ranges but there are greats, you know. There are greats, and that and we are meant to aspire to be great like them. But at the end of the day, they are great, and we are aspiring. She Absolutely. is in the Mount Rushmore, yeah, uh, greats of of songstress, and, and and she just come on
0: a literal icon. But you know, one other thing though, the industry does that to you, breaks you, it, and it hardens you in a way that. You don't feel like you even want to open up anymore and make yourself vulnerable. I sense some of that as well.
1: I do too. And I'm sure you've experienced it. And I have as well. You know, you, you, it is one of my favorite movies is Rocky. I I remember seeing it in the second grade. I went to school crying. The teacher was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I saw this movie. Mm -hmm. And when I interviewed Sylvester Stallone for the first time many years ago, I shared him with this, shared this story with him. You know, listen, we all get knocked down on the mat and and we hope that we have the ability to get back up. Only recently, though, did I acknowledge how different it is when you're on the mat and you're black and you're Mm -hmm. and that feeling of of, oh, gosh, you know, can I get up and the other obstacles that are in front of me? I did. I recently hosted an event on how these corporations are trying to hire diverse um, Mm -hmm. candidates but the second tier of that is retaining and keeping us once we're in the door because everybody wants to court diversity, but then giving you the tools to succeed, to thrive, the leeway to grow is not often afforded. It's like, okay, as you said, perfect 10, Simone, or we're on to the next version of you. In my yeah. early part of my career, I replaced the same Black woman three times at three different stations. Because it was a one for a one. Right. So imagine how she felt seeing me the second job coming in. Right. Right. It's like because you have that added pressure and you also when you're often um, one for one or two in a room, it's, well, are they there because they're a token? Mm -hmm. Are they there because they're qualified? All of these things that I have faced in my career. I remember reading something on a blog that called me Token Hall. Now, I'd gone to Temple it. University. I've been an A student. I've been in the magnet program. I've done everything, and I work hard. I, you're not going to outwork me. Now, you just might be more talented, but you're not going to outwork me. And I'm going to read and dedicate myself to the show, to my team, whatever I'm doing. And I have at that part in my career, uh, which was about 12 years ago when I started MSNBC, someone write that was Token Hall. You know, it, it could have broken me. It definitely hardened me. It made me defensive. Because then you're going, wait, well, I I deserve to be here. And so I'm so busy trying to prove why I'm there versus having the leeway to just do the job. And I tell these stories not to say that I would have wanted it any other way. Because at the end of the day, if I can survive it and we can talk about it, that helps the next person. Um, Thank God it hasn't made me bitter. I I laugh about being fired. That doesn't happen much in one's life. Because it wasn't like I had millions in the bank when it happened. But right. as I said before, I come from people who know how to get back up, right? My grandfather would go to church every Sunday with Stacey Adams on. And mm-hmm. in the weekday, he was a pitman in the back of a grocery store, you know, barbecuing and handing out, you know, his, his meals that he was making to somebody else, right? So I, that's just, I'm not wired that way, but I understand how it can break you. And uh, there have been days that I had to have, the Jesus take the wheel mm-hmm. because I did want the car to go off the tracks. I have, I am in therapy. I'm regularly in therapy. My husband is a phenomenal soundboard for me. My mother, I call her every day and I've learned to keep my, my circle. And I you know you've talked so lovingly about your mom and, and everything she's meant to your life. And I have that same relationship. My mom is my best is my best friend. Right. Mm-hmm. And I soundboard more than ever before because we do have an extra challenge in the workplace that's not acknowledged, and I wasn't even able to acknowledge it until recently.
0: Thank you. And a quick rapid fire, before I let you get out of here, it's called Gone in 60 Seconds. You can only pick one, and we established it is the Holly Berry cut. But who's the queen of the pixie cut? Tony Braxton, Holly Berry, or Nia Long? Oh, my God! I'm gone. Is that what you mean? Gone. All right. Bye. Appreciate you. That's literally gone. I knew she couldn't answer that one. Appreciate the love. Last Last call. Last call. You know what makes me happy? There's times when the lights have come on and I was drinking wine and heard those two words. We're getting close, but not close enough to ending the pandemic. And you know what would really help us all? If human beings decided to get vaccinated. When you get in the car, you're wearing a seatbelt for safety. That's why you should get vaccinated. I did it encourage someone else to do it now for health reasons religious reasons i respect anyone who feels like that's something they don't want to do i didn't want to get my tonsils taken out so i didn't do it i'm not the kind of person that always took flu shots i i once used the joke ha 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 Anybody that takes a flu shot only ends up with the flu. But you know what happened? A pandemic, COVID-19, something different. I started wearing a mask. And you know what? You did too. And you know why you wore a mask? Because this was like something we never seen before. And 700,000 people have died. So I encourage you, to get vaccinated. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.